Welcome to day two of the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. My name is Blake Farley, and the goal of this podcast is to simply read through the Bible uh, together in a way in which is not boring or scripted, uh, but just along the way, I'm going to, as we read through the one-year Bible and the NLT version together, I'm going to provide some of my devotional thoughts as I see them, uh, prayers as they come to me, and my hopes would be that as you follow along, whether you are a member of a sent church or maybe you're not a member of a sent church, you would then join along with me providing some of your daily thoughts. And this podcast is birthed out of the idea that uh, oftentimes it is hard to sit down and read the Bible by ourselves. Uh, to whereas if we're reading it together in a community, uh, it is often much easier. With that being said, today's reading is starting with Genesis chapter 3 and 4, and then we'll move on to Proverbs 1 verses 7 through 9 before we get to our New Testament reading of Matthew 2 verse 13 through chapter 3 verse 6, and we will end with Psalm chapter 2. And as I said, this year I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. So, With this being unscripted, uh, I will not edit any of my mistakes, so if there's a word that sounds funny, or maybe I missed a word, it's probably because I made a mistake, and what I want you to do is go back and simply read the text yourself if there are any questions that you might have. With that said, we will jump in. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden. Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse 4, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Adding a little bit of my interjection here, verse 4, it is very interesting. It's been well noted that the serpent deceives Eve with a lie about God's word, uh, which is the same way that we are drawn into sin today when we don't believe that God's promises and God's word are true words, when we believe that we know more than God and our way is better than God. Verse 6, the woman was convinced She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Again, adding my own interjection, and we've been covering ourselves ever since. Remember the beauty of the ending of chapter 2. When the man and woman were naked together, far more than just physical nakedness, they they knew each other fully and there was nothing to be ashamed of. And now, uh, at this moment, shame enters the world and they sowed fig leaves to cover themselves. And we use many things to cover ourselves today, Uh, not just physically, but but we hide behind masks, if you will, so that people would not be able to see the things that we are most ashamed of. Verse 8, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. (laughs) Then the Lord God asked the woman, 
What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the wild animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. In these verses, what I um, see is just that immediately as sin enters the world, not only is there no longer peace with God and man, but there's now discord between the man and the woman. And that discord continues today. As you turn on the news today, you will likely see people blaming other people for things. Um, And then we we see that even at the end of accountability, as the man blames the woman, the woman then blames the serpent. And God uh, understands that it's ultimately the serpent's fault. But as we read on, we're going to see that man and woman are still held accountable, uh, even for the things that maybe we can say, oh, the devil made me do it, or she made me do it, or he made me do it. At the end of the day, it is still our responsibility. And we are still held accountable for the things that we have done. We see that as we pick it back up in verse 16. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you to not eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. And though you will eat of its grains by the sweat of your brow, will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Starting in verse 20 now as we continue in Genesis. It says, Then the man Adam named his wife Eve, because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins from Adam and his wife. That's a beautiful text there, and it points to the gospel of Jesus. Many people um, look at, uh, up here at verse 15, when it says, uh, when God's giving the curse to the serpent, he says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. A lot of people look at that as the first time in which Jesus is uh, alluded to in the Bible, that the offspring of the woman, who would be Jesus, would come and ultimately strike the head of the serpent. And I see that, but I almost see it even more clearly here in verse 20, the gospel. And that is man and woman in their shame, and death has entered the world, and yet they are not the ones who die. The Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. What is he alluded to in that? Well, for there to be clothing, that meant an animal had to die to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. A sacrifice had to be made to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. Do not miss the beauty in that uh, and the alluding to Jesus thousands and thousands of years before Jesus would walk the earth. Friends, what covers our shame, our guilt, is a sacrifice of Jesus. The Lord God has always made provision for his people so that they would not have to face the death that they deserve. Beautiful. Verse 22 of chapter 3. Then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Chapter 4, and this is a sad chapter as we get to begin to see the results of the decision um, that was made uh, by 
uh, mankind to want to be gods ourselves. And by the way, we still see the effects of this. It's the effect of everything. It's the pride. It's the, I know more than God. I am the ultimate one. I should be in charge. I get to decide what is right and wrong. Well, when we decide what is right and wrong for ourselves, what happens is chapter 4. It says, Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother named and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. In verse 1, I don't know, something just stood out to me that really has never stood out to me before, which happens a lot when you read the scripture, uh, and probably because I'm in a different translation too. Uh, but it said, uh, when she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. And I just think, um, ultimately, the one who could say that more clearly than anybody would be Mary in the New Testament, who literally, with the Lord's help, produced Jesus. Um, and I wonder if um, Adam and Eve thought that the curse that had been levied would be uh, carried out by their child. The woman's offspring will strike the, the head of the serpent. I wonder if they thought, this is the one the Lord has sent to do that. Now, of course, we know that was a long ways off, but I just wonder if that is a little bit behind the excitement we see there in verse 1. Anyways, picking it back up in verse 3. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. I want to pray just real quick over that last little bit. Father, um, I feel this. I feel the sin crouching at the door. Lord, the anger, the jealousy, the lust, the envy sometimes, um, it, it controls me. That is a wonderful way to put how it feels sometimes. Sometimes it feels as though I have no control over the sin that takes me over. And um, Lord, yet I know that I can be its master. Not on my own, uh, Lord, but because I know your son, Jesus, I've trusted in you, and I believe the gospel is powerful, and that by turning to the truths you've given me and through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, I can be a master over sin. Lord, would you please give me what I need, the grace that I need um, to be able to be the master of the sin. Lord, help me to identify when sin is crouching at the door, and Lord, please allow me um, the wisdom to know when I'm giving it an open door to control me. Lord, I pray the same for anybody who might be listening to this today. Verse 8. One day Cain suggested to his brother, Let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. We got a brother killing a brother here. Verse 9. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, Where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. Again, I just want to pray here real quick. God, my punishment is too great for me to bear. I agree with Cain. 
and the same punishment to be banished from your presence. Lord, that is what I deserve for my sin. And I am so grateful, God, that I do not have to take that punishment because Jesus has taken that punishment for me. Verse 15, the Lord replied, No, for I will give you sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain had sexual relations with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain founded a city, which he named Enoch. And Cain was obviously a very creative guy, as you can see. I had a kid named Enoch. I'll name this town Enoch. That was obviously my interjection. <laughs> he, which he named Enoch after his son. Verse 18. Enoch had a son named Irad. Irad became the father of Mehuel, and Mehuel became the father of Methusel. Methusel became the father of Lamech. Now, these names, although they are weird, um, they might be ringing some bells in your head, and that's because, if you'll remember yesterday in the genealogy of Jesus, we saw some of these names. Yeah, but all the way back in Genesis, we're getting pointed to the line of Jesus. Verse 19, Lamech married two women. The first was named Abda, and the second was Zillah. Abda gave birth to Jabal, who was the first of those who raise livestock and live in tents. His brother's name was Jubal, the first of all who played the harp and flute. Lamech's other wife, Zillah, gave birth to the son Tubalcain. He became an expert in forging tools of bronze and iron. Tubalcain had a sister named Nahum. One day, Lamech said to his wives, Adol and Zillah, hear my voice. Listen to me, you wives of Lamech. I have killed a man who attacked me, a young man who wounded me. If someone who kills Cain is punished seven times, then the one who kills me will be punished seventy-seven times. It's a weird verse. I would like to tell you I know the answer to why that says what it says, but I quite honestly don't know. And I think anytime you come across something in the Bible that you don't know, it's okay to just say, I don't know what that means. Ask a question. Write it down. Maybe search out if it's something that intrigues you. Verse 25. Adam had sexual relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to another son. She named him Seth. For she said, God has granted me another son in the place of Abel, whom Cain killed. When Seth grew up, he had a son and named him Enosh. At that time, people first began to worship the Lord by name. That is our Old Testament reading for the day. We will now go to Proverbs 1, verses 7 through 9. It says, Fear the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Lord, I do not want to be a fool. Lord, help me to grow to love, discipline, and wisdom. Verse 8. My child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. What you learn from them will be will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. Yes. Today I spent the majority of my day with an older gentleman. Um, and I get to see this. Um, what a beautiful thing it is uh, that we might get to learn from those who went before us. Yes, our parents, but also... Just anybody who is maybe a parent to you in the faith. Oftentimes we value young and we make fun of the old or we think that the elderly somehow need our help. Uh, but in reality, we would be well served to learn from those who have went before us. Moving on to our New Testament reading, Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And we'll read through chapter 3, verse 6. It says, After the wise men were gone, and an angel of the Lord... Excuse me. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, Stay there until I tell you to return. 
because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. Verse 18, A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. When Herod arrived, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. Man, I just wish that I could have, um, and I hope that I have, the willingness to obey as Joseph does. He just listens. He's very in tune with what God is saying, and when God tells him to go, he goes. Even when he doesn't have all the answers. Verse 22. And you might have just heard my dog in the background. (laughs) She was shaking out all of her hair. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judah was Herod's son, Archaeus, he was afraid to go there. This is Joseph. Then after being warned in a dream, he left the region he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in the town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophet had said. He will be called a Nazarene. Chapter 3 In those days John the Baptist came from the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. See, we see already just so clearly in Matthew's gospel, he just keeps pointing us back to the Old Testament and reminding us that this is the one who was to come. The one that we've been waiting for. The one who, as we read in Genesis today, the one that God had promised to come and ultimately strike the head of that serpent. It's Jesus. He is that fulfillment. Verse 4, John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and all over Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Moving on and finishing with our psalm of the day, Psalm chapter 2. And I remind you the way that I like to read the psalms and would encourage you to do the same. Uh, is to pray through the Psalms. You, you read a verse, you read two verses, and as you feel led to pray, you pray. So I'll read the verse. I'll let you know when I'm reading a verse, and I will pray as I feel led by the, by the Lord to do so. Verse 1, Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? Oh God, um, as things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, this Psalm written, so long ago, and yet speaks so clearly to the world we are living in right now. The nations are raging. There are rumors of wars and wars, not just the nations, but the people inside of those nations. And Lord, we make our plans and our futile plans with our time. We waste our time, God. Instead of focusing on you, we waste our time with our futile plans to try to take over the world. Lord, I pray for the United States, which is the nation I live in, and I pray for all the nations of the world. God, ultimately, not that they would have what they want, but, Lord, that they would repent. And they would see that there is only truly one kingdom, and that is your kingdom. 
Verse 2. The kings of the earth prepare for battle, and the rulers plot together against the Lord, against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. Oh, Lord, let us not be that nation. Let us not be that people. Lord, I see it. I see it. I see it. We want to break our chains from you, as if following you is some obligation. And if only man could lead, we would be in a better place. Lord, forgive us. Verse 4. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce, fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. God, thank you for sending your holy king, your chosen king, Jesus Christ. The one who is on the holy mountain. The one who is ruling and will rule for the all of time. Long after the foundation of America and the foundation of every other country crumbles. Lord, your kingdom will reign still. Verse 7. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. Oh God, thank you for giving the entire earth to Jesus who in turn allows us to share in that possession. And Lord, as we serve him, as he rules and he reigns, God, help us, Lord, go after the nations with vengeance. Not going after the nations for our own power, but going after the nations so that they might know you. Verse 9, you will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay plots. Clay pots. God, you are powerful. Oftentimes it can feel as though we're outnumbered or the power of this world uh, will overcome us. Lord, it's easy in political seasons to allow fear or worry to dominate our thoughts. And yet, Lord, we must remember you are the one who is all-powerful. The one who is able to, as you say in this psalm, smash them like clay plots. Verse 10. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Yes, God. May verses 10 and 11 be true of our president and the rulers around the world. Lord, give them wisdom. Not wisdom as the world sees wisdom, but true wisdom, which is to serve you with reverent fear and to rejoice over you. God, would you cause a a, a breakout of repentance at the very top of our nations? Verse 12, submit to God's royal son, or he will become angry, and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities, for his anger flares up in an instant. But what joy for all who take refuge in him. Lord, I do not want to take my refuge in a politician. I want to take my refuge in you. And Lord, I pray that others would have the same courage, the same joy, as they take their refuge in you and you alone. God, we love you. We thank you for our time in your word today. Amen. Well, I hope that you enjoyed day two of our reading through the scripture. Um, We'll be back here tomorrow as we pick it up again uh, with another reading out of the Old, the New Testament, and the Proverbs and the Psalms. As always, if you uh, would like, I would love to hear your thoughts in whatever way you can communicate with me, wherever you are finding this podcast, whether it's uh, on my personal blog, on Facebook, or wherever you might be. I truly believe that reading the Bible together is one of the greatest disciplines we can have. So don't let this just be my thoughts as I read today. Maybe something stood out to you. Uh, Would you write down what stood out to you so that we can interact together? Also, uh, I would encourage you, as always, to go back through and read the psalm in a posture of your own prayer. Those are my prayers as the Lord led me. Uh, But I would wonder what the Lord would bring to your mind as you read the psalm and you pray 
yourself. So I hope that you have a great day and you that you will join me back here tomorrow for day two of reading through the Bible together.